Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sverson. Today we're talking policy, regulation and the Green Deal. I'm joined by Ovin Vessia of Ørsted. A warm welcome to you, Ovin. Thank you, Richard. Nice to talk to you. You're in Brussels at the moment, Ovin. How, how are you coping with the COVID-19 crisis? What's the situation like in, in, in Belgium? I think uh, Belgium is, um, is pretty much under lockdown. We're uh, all told to be at, uh, at home and only go out for the most uh, necessary uh, errands. We're now, I think, in the third week, or perhaps it's fourth. Uh, it's a bad sign when you start losing count yeah, exactly. of how many days you've been inside. It's an interesting, uh, interesting period. But um, I think we're we're keeping up uh, pretty well. Okay, absolutely. That's good to hear. And you're you're working from home, then I gather, Ivan. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a new way. I wanted to talk about the uh, the Green Deal. In particular, I think there's been a lot of talk about that in the months, certainly prior to COVID-19. I think the coronavirus might have taken some of the uh, some of the impetus off that. But I think I'd like to start off by asking you, what's new about the Green Deal? Yeah, so so let's now not think about uh, the COVID-19 and and kind of just focus on the on the Green Deal for a moment. I think what is is new is is really the the ambition and how fighting climate change is now pivotal point for other initiatives while fighting climate change was more of a you know it had to be part of a eu work program but now you can see other initiatives coming out of the need to to fight climate change so you have for example the eu industrial strategy which is very much linked to this eu cohesion funding is now more through just transition mechanism you also have environmental protection, biodiversity. These topics are all now linked into to the Green Deal as well as mobility and agricultural uh, policy. And I've been in Brussels for, for many years. So I still remember, for example, back under the second, but also uh, commission, you could hear Connie Hedegaard, uh, that was uh, back then the commissioner for climate action uh, from Denmark. She was talking about a need for mainstreaming climate change mitigation. I don't think she kind of managed to to make that happen, although that was her vision. But this is now really, really taking place. So you mentioned the ambition there. That's something that's very new. I mean, in detail here, what what is what's the ambitious nature of the package? I would first perhaps emphasize the fact that this target of becoming net zero. So net zero means that Europe's emissions shall not be bigger than what we, we capture, either naturally through forest or through technology like CCS. This net zero ambition uh, for 2050 is now being put into, into law. Uh, this is, is a big step forward. But linked to this, in terms of ambition, I think we also need to, to be appreciating the fact that the 2030 framework and the 2030 targets is now up for assessment. And I think if you're serious about net zero by 2050, you need to also be very serious about what happens in the next uh, 10 years because you know we have more or less reduced by a bit more than 20% greenhouse gas reductions over the last 30 years and we now have 30 years to do uh, the last bit and i think we also know that the last stretch you know the the last 5 to 10% uh, reductions will not be like the next incremental marginal 5 to 10%, those last ones will be much tougher and harder. So 
I think it's really a good thing that we are now reassessing the 2030 target and, and see that in context of this net zero um, ambition. Absolutely. I want to talk about the uh, 2030 targets a bit later on. But I, in the Green Deal, I mean, are there some parts that are missing or some elements that are insufficiently covered, would you say? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't been thinking that something has been, been missing. To, to me, it looks very comprehensive, ambitious, but but realistic. But in terms of gaps, I haven't been thinking of anything in particular, no. Okay, so it's, as, as you view it, it's fairly comprehensive then. Absolutely. It's the complete package. Yeah. And how will it impact energy companies, power and gas firms in particular? That's a very good question. And I think... Um, that's that's a job of, of many to try to to figure that out and and also of course policymakers making this this happen. I think the best source that I've come over in terms of what this might mean is actually uh, this um, report that the European Commission did back in 2018 called uh, Clean Planet for All, or also just called the Long Term uh, Strategy. It's a really long document, several hundred pages long. But it includes an assessment of the whole European economy and how Europe can become net zero and what it means for the different sectors and the different different parts of the economy. I think the key finding there is that this net zero ambition can best happen through electrification. So we will see the use of electricity for most of our mobility needs, where we today use mostly fossil oil, also heating and industry will be to a large extent electrified and there today we use mainly fossil gas. But this electrification of course also means a huge increase in demand for electricity. And what what this long-term strategy is seeing is more than a doubling in electricity consumption in less than uh, in 30 years. So today in Europe we're consuming around 3,300 terawatt hours and this is increasing to around 7,000 to 8,000 terawatt hours. In 2050. So, you know, that's a tremendous increase in electricity uh, demand, which also then, of course, needs to be matched by by supply. So, I mean, that's a huge demand for, for the product that companies such as such as yourselves, you know, are producing, are generating huge possibilities for certainly for power companies, maybe a little bit more challenging for those in the gas sector. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a fair, a fair way of, of putting it. Just looking at offshore wind, which is the renewable technology that that Ørsted is mostly or like most uh, engaged with. This long-term strategy finds that 25% of the electricity supply is coming from offshore wind. And when you keep in mind that this is 8,000 terawatt hours in total, it actually means more than 400 gigawatts of offshore wind. And today we have less than 30. So, you know, this is a tremendous increase. And of course, something that's a company like Ørsted is, is very excited about. So that's if that's the sort of look back at what the Commission reported in 2018. But if we can move to this year and maybe to early next year, what's on the legislative timetable at the moment, uh, Ovin? Could you give us a, a brief look into, you know, what's your agenda, what's going to keep you busy over the coming months? Yeah, so in terms of legislation, 2020 will not give much I think the main thing we have already seen with the climate law that was put forward in in March. But later this year, we will see a very, very important piece, which is called this uh, comprehensive plan for how Europe can increase its 2030 ambition. So here, 
the Commission has said that they're going to propose to increase the ambition to 50 or 55 percent greenhouse gas reductions by 2030, which is a pretty big increase compared to the 40 percent that was agreed previously. And this plan will really be showing how this is possible, but it would also show some indications of what sectors, what technologies, what infrastructure, and this will then be the basis for the revision of the framework that will come next year in 2021, which will be then, of course, also a very important process. But the basis will probably be put down by this impact assessment that we're expecting over the summer. And then after that, we also expect this offshore wind strategy, which uh, is essentially trying to look into this gap, you know, between the the 30 or less than 30 gigawatt that we have today and uh, the 400 plus uh, that might be needed by 2050. That is about maritime special planning. How do you prioritize the space? It's about how do you get such a build out uh, running? Because I think here is also a question of how do you actually manage this in a, in a regulatory manner also with combining this possibly with infrastructure. So building offshore wind together with uh, transmission lines, which will be a very uh, new thing. Because you'd almost need a, an offshore grid in a way, and especially, and that's complicated when you have in very many national jurisdictions, you know, coming together there. Indeed. I think there you're you're really pointing to to one of the, the tricky bits there that uh, this is out there in the sea. It is uh, not something we have a lot of uh, experience with, but I think the, the European Commission and, and the European Union it's really there for enabling Europe to cooperate. So I think it fits perfectly with the agenda of the European Union, but it's certainly not going to be easy to harness all that potential. Yes, because there is, a, in a way, a bit of an irony that a lot of, you know, the policy that's formulated is on a, on a national basis, but this you need the regional assessment, the regional measures to come through, really, to, to make this a success. Yeah, that's very true. But I was also wondering, in, in light of the COVID-19 crisis and the outbreak, do you expect any any sort of delays in the legislation this year? And we've already seen COP being, um, you know, being postponed. Yeah, I think at this moment, it's very difficult to tell. I think it's it's really hard to, to judge how this COVID uh, will kind of influence this, this process. But uh, we spoke with the cabinet of uh, Timmermans last week and then the message was clear that they don't expect any particular delays in their agenda. But in relation to to this pandemic, you see uh, the council has called for an economic recovery package, which we know that the commission is, is working on. And here we can, I think, expect that this will have a, a strong flavor of the Green Deal and, and the transition. So I think here you might see even some kickstarting in terms of funding and, and projects that are, are kind of kickstarting the, the green transition even earlier than what you would otherwise have expected. So instead of a delay, if I understand you correctly, Ivan, it could actually accelerate the green transition here. Yeah, I don't want to speculate, but yeah. uh, but certainly in terms of concrete money on the table, there might be, uh, be projects uh, kicking off earlier than, than otherwise, yeah. Absolutely. The law, the legislation we put on the table uh, won't be decided till next year. But in the meantime, can we expect a lot of horse trading to occur in the remainder of the year? Absolutely. Still, you know, the, the budget 
the multi-annual uh, financing framework has not yet been agreed. And a big question there is, of course, the economy part and and how can you know things like the just transition mechanism fit into this, and how can you make sure that that Eastern countries that don't have the same uh, capabilities to to reach net zero, how can they be be coming along? Um, so certainly a lot of discussions there also also this year for sure so it'll be a lot of lot of work for you and for us journalists there i think to cover it all um <laughs> in uh, once we once we get out of this uh, covid-19 crisis but um i think also a key factor which you already alluded to ovin is the 2030 targets and potential ets reform so tightening the cap potentially do you see that happening i think it's very difficult to see an increase of the ambition for 2030 to 50 or 55% Mm-hmm. without really? touching uh, the cap yeah so i think that that's definitely on the table but i think it's it's many other elements of dds that is also here important to, to keep in mind okay uh, we have the msr mm-hmm. uh, the msr was anyway up for review you can see now how the covid is impacting the uds uh, price i think here you might also see a need to kind of make the uds even more resilient so that uh, you don't have the green decision uh, stopping up because of uh, of other factors that is, is dragging things down. Uh, yeah, and perhaps I should also mention that in terms of reform of the EU ETS, for us uh, producing renewable energy, but also being in the business of renewable uh, hydrogen, uh, we are a bit perplexed, for example, by the fact that if you're producing hydrogen from fossil fuels, you get uh, free allowances. But if you're producing hydrogen from renewable electricity, you don't get any uh, free allowances. So there are also other parts of the EUDS there that that can be be fixed where, you know, if you have the same products that you put on the markets, there should be equal uh, incentives. Absolutely. That that sounds a a prime example of a disincentive towards the the green uh, transition. Yeah. But I think you already mentioned the price of carbon, which has been certainly very volatile, I think uh, we've we've back up well above twenty now, but uh, twenty euros a ton. But um, we also see some dramatic falls in emissions as industrial demand and power generation falls in the EU. We saw big shift last year, and this year some, you know, potentially that could continue. We could see some some uh, big downfall in emissions. Do you think that will have more of an impact on the legislative process and trying to tighten the gap or to force people to look at the MSR in a different way? Yeah, I think that's that's evident that uh, how this has been playing out and and what is, is achieved will have an impact. It's already uh, noticeable how the MSR has been very successful after it started operating in 2019. But I think we will probably learn from now how the COVID is impacting it too to see how this can be improved even even further. But it would be very strange if, if these, I mean, now we're essentially in a, in a very big economic experiment or an experiment in, in many parts of our economy, but also in terms of the EUDS and the AMSR, it's it's a very interesting experiment that we're, we're looking at at the moment. And it would be strange to not take the kind of learnings uh, from that when we, when we uh, refine the system. Absolutely. I mean, I'm also part of the ETS or part of the discussion now is one of the most controversial aspects is this carbon border tax proposals. Uh, how how do you see that uh, discussion evolving? That is tricky. What I've seen so far is that uh, 
and talks about cement being a sector. Uh, and then I also have seen that there are discussions around the transmission lines for electricity around the borders of the EU, where you have an unfair competition between generators that are outside the EU where they don't pay any ETS allowances, then importing into the EU. So I guess in the kind of simplest form, uh, that could be a carbon border adjustment put on such uh, import of electricity. But of course, that can also go to, to much more substantial uh, changes, which um, will be having much bigger impacts than just looking at these uh, these borders around the EU in terms of electricity imports. Uh, sorry. Mm. So in particular, we're talking on the borders on the eastern borders of the EU and, and southern. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Well, thank you very much, Ivan, for... Uh fascinating discussion and i think uh, obviously your schedule is going to be very full going forward so it'll be uh, very interesting to to invite you back uh, once we have more some more clarity or the picture's a little bit uh, more more clear at the end of the year or early next year so thank you very much for being a guest on the uh, montel weekly podcast today Owen. it was a pleasure thank you and uh, stay safe and uh, insane although you're inside absolutely thank you. <laughs> likewise Owen. all the best to you thank you Listeners, remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe where you usually subscribe to podcasts. That's all for now. Goodbye.